So I'm going to talk today about going with courage. We're going to focus on the Great Commission. So let's remind ourselves what gospel-centered courage is. It is the resolve to live as a follower of Christ in the midst of difficulty with strength, daring, and confidence. Fulfilling the Great Commission will involve difficulty. Not might, it will. And to fulfill the Great Commission, it is going to require strength, daring, and confidence on behalf of any person who engages it. So let's pray. Father, we ask now as we take up your word, particularly as we look to the Great Commission, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would call us forward, and that we would hear you and respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First point we want to see is that going with courage births from an understanding of who commissioned us. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we talked briefly about this earlier in the week. But the question you need to ask is, why does Jesus have all authority? Well, it's answered in Acts chapter 2, verse 32 to 36, in the first sermon that was ever preached. It says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, verse 36, what I want you to make sure you're underlining and seeing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what does the word Christ mean? Anybody know? It's another word for Messiah. What does Messiah mean? It means the Savior. So when you think of Jesus as the Christ... He's the promised one. He's the Savior. He's the one who came to redeem. Now, this is the part of the gospel that American churches focus on. We cannot leave out the other side. That he has made him both Lord and Christ. He, he is, has all authority. Romans 14. None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that, we, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So, so Christ is sovereign over our lives. He is the Lord of our lives, in our life and in our death. So what does the word authority mean? Let's, let's make sure we define this because this is a challenge to most of us in the room. Authority means the right and power to have subordinates do what you want them to do or what you tell them to do. Authority means that you have the right and the power to have subordinates to do what you want them to do and what you tell them to do. Now, Jesus exhibited this authority. He cast out demons he healed sick people. He made the wind and the waves to stop. He taught with authority. He raised people from the dead by speaking with authority. And now he ends his life on earth by giving an authoritative mission to the church, to us. 
So God's mission now, God has a mission to save, to make the gospel known. God's mission now becomes our mission. So I'm on page 85. Going with courage comprehends the weight of what we have been commanded to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. This is Matthew 28. Literally, here's what it says in the original language, as you're going. So the command is not in go. The command is in make disciples. So that's the command that we're to do. So as we're going, so the implication is this, as we're living our lives, as we're following the Lord in our lives, we are making disciples. Now, Jesus knew this is what we would do. We'd, we'd say things like this. You know, every, there's a lot of lost people around me. I just need to focus right here. He knew we'd say that. And I've heard that so many times in my life. And I agree with you. There are lost people around you. And as you're going, make disciples. As you're going to school, as you're hanging out with friends, make disciples. That's, that's the command of Jesus. But Jesus didn't say, just make disciples of those you're around. He said, make disciples of all nations ethnos, all the peoples. This is back to what we saw in Daniel chapter 3, the command of Nebuchadnezzar that every people would worship. Well, Jesus is commanding us to go to all the nations. And here's how you make disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. So this is evangelism and discipleship. So as you're making disciples, you're, you're introducing those who do not know Christ to his saving power, you're calling them to believe, and when they believe, they are baptized. They identify their life with Jesus. Now, you've probably heard me say this before if you've been around Parkwood. That, that has become like some kind of southern rite of passage for some people, and that's why we're very careful with baptism at Parkwood because, because people treat it as some kind of ceremonial thing. It is an identification with Christ, and in most of the world, the vast majority of the world, to identify with Christ in baptism could mean your life to publicly come out and, and receive baptism could mean death. It certainly means for a lot of people separation from their family. So I'm going to pause right here. So I'm going to stop right here and ask this question. If you are a professing follower of Jesus and you know that Christ has saved you and you've never followed him in baptism, I have a question for you. How can you fulfill the Great Commission when you're disobeying it yourself? Now, I'm not calling on the ceremonial rite for people right now. I'm not calling on people to get baptized because that's what good little southern boys and girls do. And It's time. I've actually heard parents say that. It's time you got baptized. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's time you get baptized. Here's what I'm saying. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have not followed him in baptism, you're disobeying him. So let's stop. <laughs> that needs to stop. So if you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, then right now you want to say before everybody, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow Jesus in baptism. You don't have to say anything. Just stand up. I know there's several of you in here who have not followed the Lord in baptism. I don't know if you're Christians or not. Anybody? Nobody? 
All right. That's real quiet in here. All right, baptizing and teaching. By the way, you're going to be miserable till you deal with it. So whether you want to stand up right now, deal with it. We're going to have a baptism the first Sunday of October outside in public for everybody to see. You need to act on that, on that day. All right. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we're discipling people. It's not just enough you introduce your friends to Christ that they need to be discipled in what it means to follow Christ and obey him in their lives. You need to learn how to do that. And the way you learn how to do that is being discipled yourself. Now, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how do they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to, to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone has said, as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? All right, so this, verse 5, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that true? It's true. Now, here's the problem. Are the people's... In Central Asia, waking up this morning, calling on the name of the Lord for salvation. They're not. There's, there's a reason they're not. So how will they call on him whom they have not believed? What's the answer to that question? They won't. They can't. They, they're not going to believe in him. How are they believing whom they have not heard? It's the answer. They can't. How do they hear without someone preaching? They can't. How are they to preach unless they're sent? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, are we sent? Yes. So this whole thing breaks down. People aren't calling on the name of the Lord to be saved because God's people are treating the Great Commission as optional. We are sent. All authority has been given to Jesus. We are his subordinates. He is our Lord, and he has told us to go make disciples and to proclaim his gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ with eternal glory. This is a trustworthy saying, or this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot, what? Deny himself. So let's tie this together with the Great Commission. He will finish the mission. I'm not moving yet. He will finish the mission with or without me. Now, the consequences of that are pretty big. When I read this text, as if I'm going to step forward here, sound people, so hope I don't get feedback. Here we go. This is John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He's quoting William Carey. You may know who William Carey is. He was the father of modern missions from in the United States. He's the one who obeyed and, and went. There's a college named after him, uh, or from England, excuse me, but he influenced the U.S. He says, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong, 
But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God and his word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse. And let me just pause right there. When, 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 when uh, Carrie came to his church and he said, I, I, God's called me to India to take the gospel. And, and here's the response he got. If God wants to save the people in India, he'll take care of that. We got lost people here in, in England. <laughs> and Carrie's response is, he has taken care of it and I'm going. I'm, I'm the one to go. So he's getting discouragement at home. He's getting discouragement when he's there in India. He says, though I were deserted by all and persecuted all, by all, yet my faith fixed on the sure word of God would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. Will. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. That's the promise that we rest on, and that is how we go. Next page. Going with courage recognizes the continuous promised presence of Christ. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I have a question. How long does the mission last? What? To the end of the age, or somebody said it, till Christ returns. So the mission continues. It's not finished. We will not be able to say, well, the mission's done. You know, like we're, we're keeping up with how many unreached people groups there are and seeing that number go down. We'll say, well, what if we check all of them off and Jesus doesn't come back? What Jesus is saying is, I'm not, you're not done. You're not finished. Jesus will decide when the mission's finished. He'll, he, it's when he comes that the mission is done. I don't decide that. You don't decide that. Here's what we know, though. Until he comes, he is with us. He's not going to leave us or forsake us. This is Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his thought, sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Now, here's the excuse you could all fall under. You know what? I'm, I'm just not called to that. So let me just ask the question before we go any further. Are you called to the mission of the Great Commission? If you're a Christian, you are. You cannot say, well, I'm not called to that. It's not my calling. Yes, it is. It is what he has called you to do. And then you can go on by this. Well, I, I just don't know how. It says here he will equip you with every good thing for you to do it. Now, that's not an isolation. Because when you look up this word equipping, it shows up in Ephesians chapter 4. The way you're equipped is through what? Do you know? The church. That's why God gave people like me. That's why he called people like me, pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to do the work that God has assigned his people to do. As the Spirit of God works in us and through us, according to his word, we are equipped to do what he has called us to. He works in us to do what is pleasing in his sight. Is it pleasing in the sight of Jesus that we do what he told us as his subordinates to do? Yes, yes it's obviously true. So that, here's the ultimate reason, that God be glorified. 
Here's why we go to the nations. It's the first line of this book. What's ultimate is not missions. What's ultimate is the glory of God. We go to the nations because the Lord God is not being worshipped among the nations. Idols are being worshipped. We go to tell them who the Lord God is and how they can be saved so that God might be glorified among them. It is the glory of God that motivates us. And we know as we go, he will not leave us. So, here's the so what. Am I going with courage? So this is from Acts chapter 4 that I'm reading. It says, This is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which was become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among by which men must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Now, I love that. <laughs> so let's just pause right there and think about this. They were uneducated common people. So even though I believe seminary education is important for, for people who are going to lead it in equipping and leading ministry, I, I think that's important. Uh, that's not the essential quality that God needs. Here's what he needs. He needs people who have been with him. That's what he needs. People who have been with Jesus are the people who rock the world. And, and you need to make sure you're doing what we studied yesterday, that you are savoring and meditating on the word of God, that you are with him so that you then reflect him. Verse 17. In order that it may spread no further among the peoples, let us warn them to speak no more in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather, rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because all the people, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly... In this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name and the holy, of your holy servant, Jesus, and when they had prayed... The place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, it says, and when they had prayed. Does anybody know approximately how many believers there are by the time you get to Acts chapter 4? About 3,000. Now, this would have been made up of shepherds, farmers, 
tax collectors, shopkeepers, fishermen, a few priests mixed into the mix who had embraced the gospel. So this, this, this was a new group of believers who had trusted in Christ, been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and, and trusted and believed in the centrality of the gospel, and they understood already the mission of Jesus to make him known. Now they're being told, shut up, stop. The ultimate threat is we're going to kill you. But they gather together, they pray, and they continued, it says, to speak the word of God with boldness. It says, and when they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now, I'm going to read from a book called Finish the Mission. If you, it's, a, it's a series of articles, uh, David Platt, John Piper, several people wrote in it. If you go to desiringgod.org, you can download this book for free. So uh, I used to buy this and bring it with me when I was talking about it. Now you just get it for free. Uh, use a PDF version. So I'm reading, this guy's name's David Matheson who wrote this article. So let us set aside any thoughts we may have about being able to witness without cost. Now that's getting serious. I'm gonna read that sentence one more time. Let us set aside any thoughts that we may be able to witness without cost. There are both great miracles, escaping the sword, and great martyrdoms, many who were killed by the sword. He's referring to Hebrews 11 here. So you find both. Some people were escaped it. Some people died by it. There is no contradiction here. Just the certain knowledge that we are called to give our lives in his service and will one day be called home. This is not a unique time in history. There is always a cost to reaching people with the good news about Jesus. It is a cost that perhaps many who identify with Jesus may not ultimately be prepared to pay. But this is the context within which the gospel took root and spread. And what's he saying? He's saying modern people are going to say, well, it's too hard. You know, hey, God would never expect that I'd put myself in harm's way for the gospel. Did you hear the sentence he said? This is the context which the gospel took root and spread. Preaching a message of repentance and faith has always been challenging. It has always required, what word do you think he says? Courage. It has always, always required courage. Now, before I move to the final verse, I just I want to I want to put a challenge out here. Uh, this summer we started a pilot project, Great Commission Team, and we've been grateful to have a, a great group of students who be a part of that. They've been here with you, and uh, on Sunday we'll 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 go do another retreat. I promise, guys, it'd be a lot more restful than this one was. Okay. <laughs> and here's ultimately the question we're going to put before them: What's the pathway? to fulfill the great commission God has put on your life. Now, here's, now hear me on this. 
we're not going to push any of them to career missions. What we're asking is, how do you leverage how God has made you and what God has designed you to do to fulfill the Great Commission with your life? How do you do that? How do you become an accountant and use that for the sake of the gospel? So that's the question we're going to be put before them. So here's, here's, let me just say it this way. The, ma- the vast majority of you in this room are going to fulfill the Great Commission as, let's go back to the first century, as shopkeepers, farmers, tax collectors, fishermen. That's how you're going to do it. You're just going to be living life in a city like Gastonia or bigger or smaller, whatever it is that turns your crank is where you end up through a local church for the sake of the gospel. But don't miss this. I'm just going to say this right here. You must join a church that believes the Bible, that preaches the gospel, and owns the responsibility to go to the nations. I would argue it's not a church if it doesn't do those things. <laughs> they can call it whatever they want to call it. A church understand that's the kind of church you need to get involved in. And you need to pursue what God's called on your life. Now, turn the page. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What has been entrusted to Paul? This is Paul writing to Timothy. The gospel. That's what's been entrusted. The gospel which is true for his own life, that that gospel has saved him, and that gospel which he is to present to others. And even though he's suffering, even though he's facing death and ultimately will die as a result of it, he is convinced that God is able to guard him. Now, this is a great little book. We usually keep this in our book area at church. It's called 10 People Who Changed the World. This is written by Danny Aiken, who is... uh, uh, the president of Southeastern Seminary. I talked about him earlier. He's the one that played the Lord is a Warrior song for me. And uh, he starts every semester, at, or every fall at Southeastern by biographical study of somebody who went to the nations with the gospel. And this is one of the messages he did. This one's about Adoram Judson. A couple pages over, I tell you Adoram's story and how he came to faith and... Uh, what he ended up doing with his life. Um, For those of you who are in that rejection phase of rejecting the gospel, you need to read the part of how he rejected the gospel for a period of time and how God woke him up. It's a pretty good good story. But I'm going to pick up here after Adorim's committed his life to Christ and believes he's called to the nations. He believes specifically he's to go to India or possibly Burma. And he falls in love uh, with uh, Anne Hasseltine, and he wants to marry her. 
So he writes this letter. <laughs> I have two daughters. I, I thought all morning about, what if I get a letter like this? He writes this letter to his future father-in-law. This is not overstatement, and I'll explain why in a minute. Dear Mr. Hasseltine, I have now to ask whether you can consent. Sorry. I want to be able to read this without stopping again. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps, sir, a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion, and for the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by, her, by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. They got on a boat, and through God's providence, uh, they ended up in Burma, which is north of India. Early on, uh, by the way, Adirine, brilliant man, the Burmese did not even have a written language. Within a few years, he had written a grammar and a language to where the Burmese, because his goal was that he knew they had to be able to read the Bible. So to teach them how to even put a language down, to write and read so that then they could later read the Scripture. He saw a few converts. Then England got into conflict with the Burmese. He was, he was English, so they turned on him thought he was a spy. They arrested him. He was in jail. His wife uh, and baby child uh, contracted a disease. At night, they would let Adoram out, and he would walk the streets with his baby and beg women to nurse the child so it wouldn't die. Finally, this conflict ended, and Adoram was released, and just a few months later, because of the toil it had taken on Anne and the child, they both died. You need to read his uh, biography. <clears throat> he is in such despair that he digs his own grave beside theirs and lays there for days. And then God gives light. He, he, he wakes up and he realizes, I'm here for the gospel. And he gives the rest of his life. So when he died, uh, let me look at the details because I don't want to mess them up. When he died, there were 7,000 baptized believers in 63 congregations and 163 missionaries. Today, 
There's 600,000 believers in 3,500 churches in Miramar. And they suffer still to this day, every day, for being followers of Jesus. Two years ago, they celebrated the anniversary of Adirayim Judson landing in Miramar or Burma. And uh, if you keep up, it was a celebration of these believers in one of the darkest countries in the world that this man and his wife gave their life that the gospel would get there. Now, there are as unreached places in the world. They still exist. They still exist. So I have two questions for you. Let me ask the questions before you answer them. Is God calling you to the nations? Second question, is God calling you to give your life to the nations as a missionary? So let me start over with the first question. Is God calling you to the nations? Yes. There's nobody in this room that can say no to that. If you are a follower of Jesus, the answer to that question is yes. Yes. The second question is, is God calling you to give your life to the nations as a missionary? Now, <laughs> I just presented it out there as to how that is. Now, I know that God is dealing with some of you in this room about this as we've had conversations. Um, so here's how I'm going to frame this. I'm going to frame this. We're going to continue to use the word pathways. So if you think, if you think right now the pathway that it appears God has put you on is to give your life as a missionary to the nations, I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand up because we're going to pray for you. Now, now, now here, here's what we're saying, everybody. This is not a pass out, a way out, a, 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 an escape clause. I just want to say this. I'm, I'm getting old now, all right? And I understand and I remember what it was like to be 17 years old and to be dealing with what you think God's calling you to do. And then you find out later in life, even as you follow Jesus and walk in obedience to him, that's not what it was. Okay? Now, it's a different thing is if you know that's what it was and you go somewhere else. That's a different issue, and you need to repent of that. But if right now it appears to you that's the pathway God's got you on, and that's what you're pursuing, why don't you just stand, stand up right now? I'm, Anybody else? All right. Now, listen, as these people are standing, here, here's, here's, here's what I want to... One of the things I hope that's changed at Parkwood, I think there was a period of time where we made people out like this to be rock stars. We've stopped doing that. If you hadn't noticed, we've stopped doing that. All right? But these people are crucial if this is what God's put on their life, and, and we got to support them. This is 3 John. This is, so the support doesn't begin when they get on a plane and fly over to the other place. It starts right now. 
We support them right now. We pray for them. We help educate them. We help equip them. We help prepare them so they can go. So I'm going to conclude like we did last night. Let's gather around these people standing and, uh, and let's pray. Lord, as, as we see these young men and women standing, some of them are going to end up in hostile, difficult, hot, dirty, nasty, disease-infested places for the sake of the gospel. Lord, some of them may give their life for it. I pray that you give them the strength and the courage to step forth and to step forward every day and to continue to pursue you, to prepare themselves, that they would go regularly in the opportunities that they're given, that they would be equipped by those, Lord, who have gone before them to help them, that you would use their education in other ways. And we pray, oh God, they'd keep their lives holy and pure, that they would not derail into sin and avoid what you've called them to do. Keep them from the evil one, we pray. And Lord, I pray for those whom you're going to send to big cities, even in the U.S. or somewhere else in the world, these large, massive cities where throngs of humanity have come, the nations have come. I pray that you give them the courage and the wisdom to be able to clearly preach the gospel and to impact into places that are hard and difficult and dark. Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we will all realize we're called to the nations and we all have to go when we're given the opportunity and we're all to give ourselves for the sake of the gospel and that you have commanded us that we are to support men and women like this, to pray for them, to financially help them and to send them forth for the sake of the gospel. Lord, bless these young men and women and use them for your sake and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said.